And you are tuned to listener-sponsored, non-commercial WBAI in New York City, 99.5 on the FM dial and streaming at WBAI.org. 7 p.m., time for the second week in its new time slot to talk out of school. Your host this evening, Daniel Elisea. out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study him hard hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Ring, ring goes the bell The cook in the lunchroom ready to sell now back you for talk out of school, Daniel Alaseo. Welcome to the Tribe of Love, listening to tonight's broadcast of Talk Out of School. Bienvenidos a todos. Bienvenidos mi familia. Welcome my family, Gotham's WBAI listeners. My name is Daniel Alisea. My pronouns are he and his. And I'm the proud son of Manny and Alma. I'm coming to you live once more from WBAI. We are listener-sponsored, locally-controlled, non-commercial Pacifica Radio here in New York City. We're on 99.5 FM on your radio dial. We're also being live-streamed on WBAI.org. Here at Talk Out of School, we focus on the issues affecting public schools and public education here in New York City on a statewide level and nationally. And if you would like to listen again later to today's broadcast with a friend or you want to share it with a loved one, it is also available for download as a podcast here online on the WBAI archives, but also on Apple and Spotify. What a great show we have lined up for you today. Today we speak to Jose Wilson. He is a veteran educator, writer, speaker, Dr. Jose Wilson also shares his work uh, within his organization called EduColor. He is the co-founder and executive director, and he will be also sharing his thoughts and ideas and some of the projects he's got lined up. And live with us a little later on, Marianne Pizzatola. She is the president of the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees. She will update us about this week's city council hearing regarding the city worker and retiree health care crisis. She'll speak to us about what was discussed in this fight to preserve admin code 12126 and the city's plan to try to force retirees into a Medicare Advantage plan. She will also tell us about the in temporary injunction that her organization won this week regarding retiree co-pays. And what's even better, we're going to hear from you. Marianne has agreed to take some of your questions, and so the number for that, and we'll start that around 740, the number for that is 212-209-2877. If you want to call in the show, uh, we'll start taking phone calls at around 740. Uh, the number again is 212-209-2877. I'm on the line with Dr. Jose Wilson. He is a veteran educator, speaker, writer, and also the executive director and co-founder of EduColor. Uh, welcome, Jose. Thank you for sharing this space with us today. 
Thank you for having me, and thank you for calling me Dr. Early. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Jose, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your organization, EduColor, the work that you're endeavoring in? Well, EduColor is an organization dedicated to race and social justice issues. We've technically been around for about nine years, but we've um, changed our organizational structure. So really the last four years, we've been a little bit more active and what we attempt to do is elevate the voices and experiences of educators of color across the country. And actually at this point internationally, we have o- over a hundred members just like within our own space, but then we have people in about four different countries doing work. Uh, we've collaborated with any number of people, including Ted center for American progress and uh, NYU Metro center. Shout out to y'all. Um, and, you know, what we're basically trying to do is amplify voices and resist where possible. And so uh, a lot of New Yorkers that are in, involved in education uh, know your body of work. It's well known. So what's new in the, what's new in the struggle and in some of the equity centered work that you're endeavoring in? What are some of the projects that you're currently involved in? Well, the, I have a few points, actually. I think the first part is we have a partnership with the Expectations Project called Truth Matters for Students, where we're really trying to think about what are the best ways to pierce some of the nonsense that's happening with what people are calling the anti-CRT movement, which I just call the anti-truth movement. So that's been a way to reframe that. Um, thinking about how, you know, at this point, because we're beyond election cycles, but the laws are starting to get reified and ratified within different city and state houses. And so we need to be attentive as educators towards what's happening when you know, th- these uh, nonsensical frameworks start actually becoming law. And then, of course, what we know full well is that educators of color are more likely to be affected by these laws, even if they don't necessarily say, hey, like I espouse critical race theory. They don't even have to say it. They just have to be black. They just have to be Latin, Latinx, et cetera. And they're immediately pegged as such. I mean, we even see in Arkansas, for example, Governor Huckabee, the, the new uh, governor there, she immediately says, we're going to ban Latinx as a word. Like, you can't say Latinx within uh, Arkansas state lines. And I'm like, how's that work? All because of, like, people just wanting dignity and respect. I, I'm I, I'm not at a loss for words, but if anything, I think we need to reframe our language about just how powerful this movement is and has been. What are some future plans with EduColor? Um, I know that you hold a, a summit every year. Any other... Um items that are that are on the burner well right now i mean besides i think besides the anti-truth stuff we also have our partnership with the nyu metro center trying to uh, develop uh, plans and professional development around culture responsive and sustaining education like it's one thing to theorize about it for sure and i mean that's powerful work but then how does it look like on a day-to-day basis and how do we get teachers as well as staff and really any educator who's a uh, child facing adult uh we need to be able to say what's the common language that we're going to have to truly make this relevant for students to make it uh culture responsive for students to make it sustaining as possible especially in the climate that we're in so that's been powerful work to uh, help on that end of course we want to create a, a space where um educators can actually come and have that conversation in face-to-face spaces so that's going to be something that's kind of we're working on as a project um 
And then, of course, our teacher leadership work is always something that is important for us because we feel like uh, whenever teachers actually take on the work of doing CRSE, pro-justice type work, that is a form of teacher leadership because that does go beyond what's on paper. I mean, granted, a lot of us believe it should be what's part and parcel of our work, but that is not necessarily what's the case out there. So for me, I feel like, okay, so we need to be paid properly for that sort of thing and then supported properly as well. So good on us for taking that work on. So I know you, uh, you wrote a, a well-renowned book, uh, This Is Not a Test, A New Narrative on Race, Class, and Education. Thank you. Can you tell our listeners um, why they should purchase your book and read it this weekend? Goodness, thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting. In 2014, we were uh, just off the cusp of some of the largest protests against um, the education reform of the moment. So we had uh, the City of Our Schools March in 2011, uh, which featured any number of some of the some of your faves, including Diane Ravage, Lyndon again, Lyndon Hammond, Deborah Meyer, so on and so forth. And, and yes, I got to speak at that. That was a, a blessing, right? And we did it in Washington D.C., close to Obama's. Uh, White House at the time. And then shortly thereafter, uh, Chicago had its protest led by Karen Lewis, uh, rest in power for sure. And over time, it just became a thing where I said, what, how, what, what does the teacher have to say about this moment? And is there a book that actually speaks to the moment in a way that allows for people to feel what's happening? And of course, in parallel, you not just have the, uh, I guess the education reform protests happening, but also um, you have, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement just starting to ramp up the passing of Trayvon Martin, the murder of Trayvon Martin, really, um, and Five for 15, all these other big dreamers, they were really coming out in full force and education just was not matching that energy in the way that we would have hoped, right? And so I wanted to write the book that, as um, I believe Toni Morrison says, I wanted to write the book that I didn't see. And so this is the book that I was hoping would be timeless. It speaks to so many of the issues that are relevant today. Um, you talk about Common Core, it's there. You talk about education technology, it's there. You talk about how to actually be responsive to students who need support uh, in this moment in time, it's there. Even the stuff about grit, some of that stuff is there. And so um, I would really hope that people really think about what it would mean to actually recruit and retain teachers who care about children. And so uh, this is not a test of new narrative on race, class, and education is that book. That's why it's gotten the endorsements it's got. And I'm really blessed to have um, not just written that book, but have so many people have read it. And that that's a good thing. Definitely some big endorsements. So I want to do a lightning round with you, uh, Jose. I, the times I've heard you speak, it's been powerful. Thank you. I've likened your voice to, I'm a, I'm a son of a pastor, so I've likened your voice to a prophetic voice. And so uh, one that imparts some really timely declarations that, that I think we all often need to hear in that mm -hmm. moment. Um, so I'm going to throw out some phrases or some words. You can answer them as long as you want or just succinctly. Just what you hear and what you think we need to hear uh, in relation to these phrases or words or names. Book bannings across the nation. Book bannings. Jeez, I feel like books have been banned all, at any at all times, but people are just getting more and more sensitive. And so those who have power are using those sensitivities to limit 
what we can actually do. And so unfortunately, we're going to have to keep, you know, doing things outside of the classroom in order to really affect change inside the classroom and good on us for actually being activated in our learning. So that's what I got to say about that. Mayoral control. Abolish it. Abolish it. Um, people keep saying make that one person responsible. I respect that. But unfortunately, what we've seen is that uh, people don't get activated unless there's a mayoral vote there. And so we can't wait every four years to actually try to hold the the mayor accountable, whoever that mayor is. And so ban it, abolish it, get a better system that's more community driven that allows for more stakeholders to have a voice in what's happening and reform it so that like we never have to have this discussion again about mayoral control. Yes, sir. Standardized testing. I know a lot of people say that they, we, we should abolish that too. I am 90% there and we have to make sure that whatever's in place is actually better than what the standardized test offers, especially because people have such a hunger for something that's more standardized. I, and I, I tend to respect it on the equity point, but then on a day to day level, our kids are suffering. They are suffering. Um, when it comes to the standardized testing, they may want to take that test and then they have any number of factors that do not allow them to succeed in the ways that they want. And so what I found is um, the folks who know best are the collective of educators and parents, people that come together and say, what is the, and of course, asking the students straight up, what did you learn? And that tends to be a better measure than just one standardized test. And so we need to do a much better job of using that as a tool that doesn't, for example, try to shut down schools, doesn't make schools look horrible, doesn't make kids look horrible, doesn't make um, whole races and cultures look horrible for not doing as well. And then for that matter, on the flip side, that may, that elevates uh, folks and then they get stereotypically seen as not needing help because they do well on standardized tests too. So that that's, there's two sides, it's the same coin though, it's the same sword and it hurts us all. New York City school budget cuts. There was, I believe, a $2.2 billion quote-unquote surplus at the end of fiscal year 2022. Um, what people failed to report was that uh, the, a lot of that could have, was actually money that was owed to us, you know, for decades, uh, groups like the Alliance for Quality Education, a Coalition of Educational Justice, name them, you go down the list, and they fought decades to ensure that we had proper funding on the state level only for the city level to say, oh, great, now we get to cut monies uh, in, in the millions away from kids. There are schools that lost $500,000 in budget. They had to cut teachers left, right, classrooms that do not have enough staff. We need to do better. And so um, do not even mention a surplus until you restore those cuts and then make sure those cuts never happen again because our schools students actually need more monies now because they have more needs. Metal detectors. Abolish those too. Abolish those too. Because they they don't necessarily make us safer. They haven't made us safer. They continue to uh, prevent kids from fully enjoying their high school years. And there are better ways to ensure that students may not, don't have those uh, weapons that people keep asking them not to have. And so if there are more preventative measures, then I want to see them. But metal detectors aren't going to do it. It's, they, they keep us less safe. Um, ironically enough, 
because students end up not having anything that makes them feel safe. Like we need communities to buy into the idea of safety. And that's the way that usually works. That includes across New York City. If it works for the adults to not have metal detectors, then we should ensure that kids, especially uh, our students who are minority, minoritized, who are Black, Latinx, going into schools that are not quote-unquote specialized or whatever. Make sure that every child feels safe, but metal detectors don't do it. So let's do a better job. And uh, my, my mom's Dominican, so we, we share something here. The 25 Dominican bilingual ed teachers that were in the news. I know it's a complicated situation. It's funny because every Dominican is like one step away from the next one family-wise. Um, I, what I would say is that we need to create better pathways for immigration and think about immigration more thoroughly because otherwise it allows for a lot of malfeasance and malpractice to happen. And so if we're not thoughtful about what it means for folks to try to truly live this thing we call an American dream, which as you're well aware, often becomes an American nightmare. Um, we need to be thoughtful about how we treat one another, how we see one another, how we uh, interact, and then create those pathways that allow for people to create a sustain, sustainable life when they get here. Um, and, and just being more humane, being more dignified early and often. That's what I got to say about that one. Teaching math in Washington Heights. Imagine finally having found your voice as an activist in college and then coming out of college, having graduated with a degree in computer science, and then thinking to yourself, what's the one space where uh, my passion for activism and my intellect for um for math can come together. And so when I became that teacher in middle school, Washington Heights slash Inwood, um, I was able to do so for 15 years. So my activism within these spaces all of a sudden became the passion and drive that I had for serving um, the thousand plus children that I worked with across uh, 15 years of teaching. And of course I did math instructional coaching in there as well, but I spent all that time in that classroom. And so whenever anybody heard from me at all during those 15 years, and even to this day, I always carry those thousand plus students with me, uh, 30 students at a time and all the different abilities and talents that they had. I never once said to myself, you know what? Like these kids don't deserve it. If anything, they deserve everything. And then some, and Bless them for even having me as a teacher, and I'm I'm blessed to keep that movement forward. And that that's where that's really what I want people to think about when they think about me is that I tried it every single day to ensure that all of my students did well, um, and it, however imperfectly. And this weekend we uh, celebrate Dr. King. I wish more people took time to actually read Dr. King. Uh, and not just the sliver that they wished to have read. So even if you read everything be, before he just said the words, I have a dream, you would have seen that he specifically asked for America to pay reparations. Um, and we haven't seen that yet, but people want to keep talking about the content of character. But we have yet to see the content of character of folks who want to match that energy. Where is your character when children keep dying, when poor people keep dying, when we have homelessness all across the board? Um, meanwhile, we have high rises up and down that are maybe a third full. Um, 
and we have income inequality, educational inequality. We have all sorts of things that are, frankly, institutional. And so um, before Martin Luther King was uh, was assassinated, he fully recognized that that was the case. And his Poor People campaign would have ensured that a whole broad coalition of folks who wanted to fight back against this austerity um would have he would have found a way to push back and unfortunately that be that became too radical for too many people and so i i wish for folks to be more thoughtful about his whole legacy not just a sliver that they wish not the, not just the that just a sliver that they feel that they can mimic not just a sliver that they've seen somewhere in the movie or that was watered down but the whole entirety of his legacy and even for us to be imperfect know that we are imperfect and still be able to create something dope in the way that Martin Luther King Jr. was able to do. And so if listeners want to read more on your writings or connect with you, how can they do that? How can they also get connected with EduColor? The easiest way is obviously through thejosevilson.com. That's my website. I am the Jose Wilson on every social media platform, well, at least all the major ones. Um, and of course, if you want to get connected to EduColor, that would be EduColor.org or EduColorMVMT on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. So that's where we're at. And I thank you all for reaching out. I am hyper responsive on social. So feel free to reach out early and often. Well, thank you, Jose. I really do admire your voice and, and it's an important one in our time and in our city. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Talk Out of School on WBAI 99.5 FM, New York. And before we move on to Marianne, here is an important announcement from the folks at Parents to Improve School Transportation regarding some changes to uh, school transportation. This may affect some of our listeners and their families. Attention families of school bus riders. At companies which have contracts with Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1181, there are some planned changes of driver on Monday, January 23rd, and changes of attendant on special education routes on Monday, January 30th. This is supposed to reflect that routes have stabilized at least at the union companies. However, hundreds of students citywide especially in temporary housing, are waiting for routes. To help current school bus riders cope with this transition, the one nonprofit company has videos in English and Spanish on its website, which is spelled nycsbus.com. The Parents to Improve School Transportation site has more details, a tutorial for viewing video captions in more languages, and links to a children's story. Visit pistnyc.org slash resources. Efforts toward an ASL video are pending. The Busing Committee of Citywide Council for District 75 will give updates at their Zoom this Tuesday, January 17th at 6 p.m. The cooperation with parents and workers on this communication effort 
hints at what could be happening system-wide if stakeholders led busing policy. Please support our ongoing fight for transit equity. Thank you. I'm calling this the uh, Marianne Pizzatola intro song. Welcome, Marianne, to Talk Out of School. Marianne Pizzatola is the president of the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees. Welcome, Marianne. Thanks for having me, Daniel. That's that's adorable. <laughs> well, um, I was going to go with LL Cool J's Mama Said Knock You Out, especially after... Um, your your uh your talk to the city council um this monday but uh i figured well let's go with rocky <laughs> you can play that one after next week hopefully <laughs> well i'll tell you what this has been an eventful week uh especially around this citywide fight for new york city city employees and retirees um surrounding proposed legislation to change the protection in code 12126 to their health care. And so I know um, I got to hear many testimonies on Monday regarding this proposed change. And so I would love to hear your take on what happened. If you could just inform uh, our, re- our listeners as to uh, what went down and some of your takeaways from the hearing that happened this uh, Monday. Well, it was a marathon hearing. Uh, we were in the chambers until just about nine o'clock at night. The hearing started at about 9.30 in the morning, uh, which followed our uh, press conference on the steps of City Hall at 9 a.m. Uh, we heard from the city. I felt that they were uh, disorganized. They couldn't find the answers. They were giving some misinformation. Uh, and then the labor panel was even more disturbing as them doubling down on their disinformation campaign, uh, misrepresenting the Scheinman report, uh, which is only a recommendation. And they were saying that it was not, that it was an order and it would be followed. They also misrepresented the facts of the judge's decision. It was just, to me, that's a travesty because you're in a public forum and that's not the way that that should have gone. But the upside is the retirees were heard. Uh, hundreds of them came. We filled 250 people filled the chamber. There was 300 people outside. Uh, our government liaison was able to get those seniors into 250 Broadway so that they could stay warm and still hear the hearing. And as seats opened, walk them across the street. Uh, so it was a day of it was a day for justice, I think, uh, to at least have an opportunity to be heard. And I think we were. Well, I'll tell you what, there's also I understand a, a room also at 52 Broadway for some of the UFT um, members and retirees. Can you inform our listeners a little bit about this struggle? What is admin code 12126 and what is this proposed change? Can you tell us um succinctly about this idea of forcing retirees into a privatized Medicare Advantage plan? 
So 12-126 was legislated by the city council in 1967 at the request of the mayor after Medicare became available and he wanted to give it to retirees. And he could only do that by statute because we were already retired. For those that were eligible while employed, he could do so by personnel order, but to be able to give it to retirees whom he was already paying for their health care, he had to make a change. So 12-126 came about. And what that does is two things. It provides for the cap that the city has to pay up to for each and every one of us equitably, because we're all we are all protected up to the same amount. And it also provides for Medicare B reimbursement because since the mayor at the time was already paying for health care, the premium for Medicare in 1967 was $3 a month. Today, I believe it's one or one five. So it's still a, a great benefit to the city and there's great savings to the city because our both of our plans, even if you say the Medicare Part, Part B as well as the city Medigap plan, that little less than 20% plan that we have with the city of New York, is still less than the HIP HMO cap by far. So that's the benefit that it provides. And it has protected us since 1967 equally. Um, why is it, why are they trying to change it? The amendment reads something like this, that it would protect each and every one of us up to, the original language is still there, up to the HIP HMO rate for every employee, retiree, and their dependent. And now they want to add a comma there and say, or in the alternative, any benchmark plan that the MLC and the city mutually agree to be that benchmark plan for that class of individuals. And that's some pretty scary language. One, especially because those terms are not defined in the proposed language. And two, we're now creating a class system of haves and have nots. And that's going back in time, not being progressive in time. So that would be the concern because then the MLC, which is primarily controlled by two of the largest unions, which is 37 in the United Federation and the city of New York, can choose which plan will be your free plan and any other plan that they offer you, you would pay for. So the ruse of the testimony from that day, this would be another takeaway, is we're doing this because we want you to have choice. Well, you'll have choices. You'll just be paying for them. And then here's the kick. If you can't afford them, it's not really a choice. Now we're stuck. So, so any other major takeaways um, from the testimonies, some, something that you, you feel our listeners need to know, especially as I understand city council is still considering this. There's a proposed meeting with city council on the 19th. We don't know what the agenda is as far as I understand. Any other takeaways as to where this fight uh, continues to go? Um, for those that don't know, Marianne's um, organization had a lawsuit um, trying to stop this Medicare Advantage plan, and, and six judges have said, um, have sided with New York City retirees, all of uh, those that uh, have worked in the different locals here in New York City. Well, so the, the, why they're trying to do this is because if they can reduce the benchmark for what you, what would the city would pay for you uh, as in Medicare eligible retirees, for example, that class um, to a $0 premium, which is what the city said was the premium on Medicare Advantage was $0. That means that any plan offered higher than $0, you would be paying for. Now, premium becomes yours. So 
you start to say, okay, you're going to offer me this free, this free premium, premium free Medicare Advantage plan, which is a privatized Medicare. Uh, and you'll offer me senior care, but I'm going to have to pay a starting premium of $200 a month plus all these co-pays. So realistically, I'd probably be paying five or $600 a month. Uh, that is prohibitive to many retirees who make very small pension. Um, like I said in the DC, in my testimony with DC 37 retirees, two thirds of them make under $25,000 a year. A third of those make under 12. You also have retirees from the uniformed services that retired in the 70s and 80s who their pensions are in the 20s. So these would not be people that could afford to pay up. And uh, very glaring was I finally understood what Michael Moglu was testifying to or constantly putting out in his propaganda that the judge took away my, my collective bargaining rights. Well, he said the city the city has six six plans that they pay a premium where retirees can pay a premium for, and the judge took away our ability to charge that premium. So I'm thinking, well, you want to be able to negotiate plans as pay up plans that we would have to pay for, uh, rather than them being under the cap. And I believe in one of one of the uh, delegate assembly meetings, there was uh, there was a young lady that had said, "Haven't the retirees been charged for premiums?" for plans that were under the cap. And they pushed back on her, her commentary, but she was absolutely 100% correct. We believe now in light of that, that the city has been overcharging retirees, knowing that they were, they were charging retirees under the cap. And that monies are going to subsidize retiree healthcare, active healthcare, I have no clue what. But that's what he specifically wanted was to be able to keep those plans and charge you for them. I'm not quite sure what the benefit to him is, but that's what he's upset at that he can no longer do. And so is there going to be a vote um, coming up on the 19th? Do we know? Your guess is as good as mine. I've been checking the calendar all day, but it is Sunday. Tomorrow is a federal holiday. Um, I'm hoping that the agenda will be uh, published uh, and then we'll know if they're going to take the vote up on Friday or not on the 19th of so also this week you had a a win. Um, you had also filed a a lawsuit regarding retiree copays that's related to this. It's also based on twelve one two six. Can you tell us a little bit about the injunction that you won this week? The temporary injunction. Uh, it's important. Yes. So the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees read the judge's decision to believe that he felt that we should not be paying copays especially that uh, we know that that after even looking at all the contracts that between GHI and the city, there's no mention of these co-pays. Emblem has been complaining about the co-pays since they were incepted in January of 2022. So we filed a lawsuit to say, hey, our costs are under the HIP HMO rate. The city should be paying for all of our health care costs up to that rate. These co-pays fall under the rate. All of our documentation says the city will pay the 20% of our medical bills that Medicare does not pay. Medicare pays for the first 80%. Our city Medigap for 55 years has paid for the last 20%. Now they put these copays on us of $15 a copay after we have deductibles, by the way. Um, after those, you start getting hit with these $15 copays. And for our most infirm, which is a good majority of this population, those are amounting to a car payment. So we filed a lawsuit. 
Uh, we asked for a preliminary injunction, and we also sued to stop them, uh, like, and permanently. Well, the judge came down with a preliminary injunction the day after the hearing and enjoined the city from from forcing us to pay these copays. Almost immediately, the city and Emblem Health filed an appeal, so now we'll be in appellate court to argue that. I believe the judge also thinks that the appeal is frivolous uh, because the judge, the city asked for a uh, bond for damages in case the injunction doesn't stick and this has this cost them money. And the judge said, okay, we'll give you a bond of $1,000. I mean, it wasn't like a million dollar bond, it was a $1,000 bond. And, and in his uh, dicta, which is but throughout how he gets to his order, that's everything, all the text above the words ordered. He explains that he believes that we will likely be successful on the merits of our case. He does it twice. So I think we're going to be successful on the merits of our case and, and we will win this class action copay case. That was a retiree win. We, not a union, the retirees filed that lawsuit. You know what, when this is all said and done, I, I really do believe that labor historians are going to look at this week and really see a transition. What we saw on Monday, we saw a press conference of city councilmen and city council members um, that were on the right, in the center, and the left, workers. Um, I believe that our our teaching conditions as educators are our learning, uh, our students' learning conditions. And so I, I really do believe the work that is happening, this movement of not just um, lawsuits, but folks, the rank and file really coming together and saying, you know what, we're, we're not going to take this anymore and we are going to stand up. And so the work that you've done, Mariana, is is outstanding and it's 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 going to be transformative I believe when it's all said and done before we get to um, some callers and callers, if you, if you would like to call us here on WBAI, the number is 212-209-2877. Marianne uh, is going to take some of your questions. You kind of alluded to the unions taking credit to uh, this temporary injunction that would stop these copays, these prohibitive copays. Can you talk about an email that Michael Mogru sent out to United Federation of Teachers because it was dumbfounding, the gall and audacity behind it. So can you talk about it? It was. Uh, and this isn't the first time the UFT has done this. Uh, but but it, it insinuated, without even mentioning our organization, there was a lawsuit. Like it was filed by them and that that if the appeal on the, the preliminary injunction is successful, they would gladly help all the retirees uh, collect any copays that they are owed. Um, basically saying, we will save you. And, and I'm, I'm sitting here chuckling to myself when I'm, I mean, I'm, my inbox is filling up with them from multiple teachers, active and, you know, active and retired that got this email. And I said, well, that's really great. He's acting like he's going to save the day. No, you know, you are the one that put these in place. The MLC negotiated these copays on the backs of senior citizens. We're saving you. You're not saving anybody. It, it, it was. It's disturbing that this was not the first time that we had to push back um, 
on him taking credit or the United Federation of Teachers taking credit for something that they didn't solve, but something that they caused. I don't know. But I, I called it out. I'm not going to take it anymore. There's another There's another one just like this. There's a, a, a United Federation teacher chapter in West Florida does the same thing and then misinterprets the judge's decision and says that it's that crazy bad retiree group that caused all these problems. Nope. That one's coming next. Absolutely dumbfounding. So uh, Max is our engineer. If we have any callers on the line, we'll take some callers right now. Again, um, if you are on the line, please state your name and where you're calling from. Go ahead, caller. Yeah, my name is Steve, and I'm calling from San Francisco. And I want to thank you, uh, Marianne, for taking up this struggle because it's the same all, it's the same all over the country that uh, retirees from uh, public employees are being attacked and they're trying to cost shift and force uh, retirees to, to pay more. And that's happened in San Francisco with the public employees. And also um, what's happened with Medicare nationally is that the Democrats, Biden and these Democrats, have allowed uh, these companies to, to take over more and more of the, of the, so the Medicare system. So I think we really need a national campaign and, and a national effort in the AFT and all these unions that represent public employees. What the hell are you doing? Why are you supporting privatization of uh, Medicare and helping these insurance companies who are ripping off the retirees and the public? Because as we know, these uh, private insurance companies are interested in cutting services to make more profit. That's what it's all about. So yes, it absolutely all the unions asked me, SEIU, AFT, uh, public employees unions, and the members have to get involved. And I understand Randy Weingarten, who's on the National Committee of the Democratic Party actually voted against Medicare, uh, against um, national health care and the Democratic Party. So she purports to represent teachers, but teachers are uh, suffering because of not having health care and having more and more of their wages go to, uh, to the insurance companies. That's really what's happening. Wages now for U.S. workers are going to, uh, to insurance companies for health care rather than to wages. Income that, that happens in many many contracts. So I think uh, your struggle is important for all all workers in the country. You're welcome. Where we we know we have a national fight as well. <laughs> Our you. next caller. Hello. 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 Welcome to Talk Out of School. Just identify yourself and tell us where you're calling okay. from. Marianne, this is Renee, and I live in the East Bay near San Francisco. And the reason I'm calling is to stress the fact that many of us retirees retired in other states outside New York. And we are extremely fearful, <laughs> although now we are very hopeful. <laughs> and I just wanted to make that point. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You are our hero. We love you all. And thank you. Bye. You're welcome. And get in touch with us and let us know what's going on in your city because we've helped other retirees in other states as well. Well, from the point of view of the, the physicians, no one will accept a Medicare advantage. 
especially one from New York. The moment they hear New York, they say, uh-uh, no, <laughs> we're not yeah. local. Yeah. Okay, bye, Marianne. Bye, bye. Honey. good luck. Thank you, bye. Next caller, just state uh, your name and, and where you're calling from. Okay. Hello, Marianne. My name is Robert Cowan. I'm a former professor at Queens College of the City University and a member of the PSC. You're doing a great job. Um, I would like to organize visits to individual city council people. Um, we need lists by zip codes of union members, and with that we can then organize visits to individual councilmen from members of their district. I think this would be very effective. Um, I think we should tell them that if they have any pushback from the UFT, we'll have, we have their backs. We're there to support them, and uh, we would expect them to vote in our interest. That's a great point. Uh, we've actually been doing that, and I think your retirees organization has been doing the same thing. So if you're not working with your PSC retiree group, you should, because they've been holding those meetings with various council persons for the last few months. Yeah, I think it would be very effective if like 10 or 12 people from their district come in and talk to them personally and tell them, you know, what our needs are. So I'm going to try and get the PSC to organize it with their members, and hopefully other unions can do the same thing. That's a great idea. We've we've been working on that. So if you haven't joined the join the fight, get involved with the PSC retirees because that's exactly what we're doing. Definitely, I know. I've been at one of your meetings with uh, Councilman Gennaro. Ah, yeah. Um, okay, but great. we need to keep pushing. You know, we cannot stop. You're doing a great job, and I know you agree with all this. So <laughs> we'll keep fighting. We will. Be faithful. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Next, next caller. We will. Be faithful. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Marianne. Um, we've got about a dozen folks that, that want to talk to you, and we'll, we'll try to take as many more as that, that we can. And again, I think what we're starting to see is that this is not just a, a local situation, that, that New York City is the epicenter of something really important. It is. I agree with you. People are watching. Our next caller. Anyone there? Oh, we're moving along. Yeah, can I speak? It's you. Go right ahead. Yes, hi. This is Neil. Hey, Neil. Neil, where are you calling hey, from? Hey, Marianne. This is Neil. I'm with uh, DC37 Retiree Association with strong supporters. I'm calling from New York. And what is your and what is your question so for Marianne? I, I just uh, wanted to uh, talk about the fact that this uh, attack on retirees, and that's what it is disproportionately affects um, re, um, retirees who are women and uh, black and Latin retirees. They are disproportionately low-income uh, retirees. And um, when the UFT and the and uh, DC 37 leadership and the rest of the MLC 
imposed these changes along with the city, it disproportionately affected these, this group of people. And people need to know that that's who's going to be hurt the hardest. When, when at the uh, hearing, uh, the UFT organized some of their supporters to speak, and it was very interesting. They all said uh, that they were in favor of the change in the administrative code because they wanted choice. And they wanted choice because they could afford to buy and stay in senior care. Well, low-income retirees in D.C. 37 especially cannot afford to buy up. Thank you. Great point. We, uh, we th- that was not missed on us either, that the, re- that the UFT put up a panel of retired teachers who all wanted the code change to preserve choice, but, of course, they could afford the choice. Oh, there's a great piece by Arthur Goldstein at NewYorkCityEducator.com about this very thing. It, it's, it reeks of elitism. Here are some folks that can afford this, and lo and behold, they want to stay with their existing plan. They don't want Medicare Advantage. They they also are dealing with um, illness and disease and, and other issues, but they don't. They want no part of Medicare Advantage. But then they forget about so many um, that cannot afford the uh, the 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 premiums that they want to place on seniors. And remember, those are starting premiums plus copays. Oh my! Next caller. Hi, welcome to Talk Out of School. Just state your name and where you're calling from. Hello? We hear you. Just state your name and tell us where you're calling from. Hi. Marianne, hi. This is Lainey Kitt. How are you? I'm calling from Manhattan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, my tushy still hurts from Monday. (laughs) It was a long, long day. Um, I just want to make a statement that I think is very important if there are some um, of the active uh, members of unions on the line that we really need them to start understanding what we're fighting for because as we all know, as retirees, if it's going to happen to us, it's going to happen to them. And it will happen to the city council people as well. We need to get the word out to the the people that are working right now, all the other unions, and to to let them know that they're going to be in big trouble. And it's not going to be when they retire. It will be before that. Because if they're coming for us, they're coming for them too. Good point, because this does affect uh, everybody now, whether you're active or retired. Uh, They have that RFP out to replace the full employee plan. Uh, we know that the MLC's savings, quote-unquote, was to add um, increased co-pays, narrow the networks for radiology, the hot, remove Montefiore from the network. Uh, so these are th- in, and installing more prior authorizations. All of these things do have a negative effect. It's literally diluting your health care, and it is costing you more money. So that would be the employee issue the, the forced enrollment of a Medicare person into the Medicare Advantage plan, that would that's what they're trying to force us into right now. So you make a very valid point that this does affect 
everyone. Absolutely. And, and just looking at the ambiguous language that is inside of uh, the amendment 12.126 that creates classes of um, or groups that can negotiate for alternative plans, I, I think that can be used not just for this Medicare Advantage plan, um, but also for other groups or locals. Yeah. All right. Uh, next caller, please state your name and tell us where you're calling from. Hello. Hi, welcome to Talk Out of School. Is it me now this time, Mia Ambrosio yes. from Brooklyn, New York? Welcome. Hey, I just wanted to bring up the fact for city employees. I work, uh, I'm UFT retired teacher in New York City. And just a short little history about my life. When I was a child, my mother was a seamstress. My father wasn't working. He finally got on the Department of Sanitation. And the day that he was accepted in, I saw my mom crying for the first time in my life as a child. And it was like, what happened? What happened? It was literally tears of joy because we had no health coverage. Now, fast forward so many years, and when I became a teacher, I did six years at Hunter College to go through my bachelor's and my master's, and then I did another year for G&T, et cetera. But when I was at Hunter, I had colleagues that stayed in the city and were working for public schools almost twice as much as my starting salary. And I can only say, I hear my father saying, get a city job because you'll have your health benefits. Get a city job. So this is what I always knew to be deferred compensation. How come people don't talk about it? That's the first thing. And then secondly, this is literally going to kill our middle class. Because who would want to start a job at the lowest salary and not have good benefits when you retire? So that's a bigger issue is that it's like wiping out middle class. Marianne, thank you for everything you're doing. You're welcome. <laughs> that was pretty much it. <laughs> Thank well, you. Thanks for working, for being here tonight. Absolutely. It's why I became a, a New York City school teacher. Uh, there's a lot of us that made decisions coming out of college and said, you know what? Um, the benefits, the, the deferred compensation that was just mentioned. Our next caller. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Welcome to Talk Out of School. Okay. Thank you very much. This is Glory. I'm a DC 37 Retiree Association member, having worked at the New York City Department of Housing Preservation and Development for 26 years. I live in Manhattan. I've been in touch with two different council members, Gail Brewer and Sean Abreu. And what has made my blood run cold, both from the hearing where I testified, as well as in my conversations this past week, and I hope, Marianne, that you can clear this up. And by the way, Major, thanks for all your work. What the council members are saying right now is that the current admin code 12-126 right now gives the city the power to force retirees into a single-payer privatized Medicare Advantage plan, that the city can do that right now. And the only way to protect the city from doing that in order to save their $600 million is to pass the amendment so that there is a choice. Is that true? And if it's true, would the city really exercise that kind of brinkmanship? And would Mayor Adams, well, do you think the mayor and the city would make that kind of jump to change the plan right now if they didn't get their amendment? 
remember something that the city is tied to an agreement with the MLC to a, an agreement called the 1992 Health uh, Benefits Agreement, Health Agreement. The ML, this 1992 agreement requires the city and the MLC to negotiate all aspects of healthcare and can take no unilateral change. Remember Good. those words. So Thank you. The, M, the MLC cannot take a unilateral change. The city cannot make a unilateral change. Where then it becomes is that the city will 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 want to try to do something. Uh, it would be up to the MLC to make sure it is protected. Or in this situation, we will sue if it if they go to do something like that. So I think that you have to let that play out and see what happens because the city does know that they would end up in litigation if this did if they did do that. And I know that I need New York City, we need. Yeah. And I know New York City. We need that information. Yeah. Thank you. And I okay. know that New York City retirees has uh, offered other alternatives up to $300 million in cost savings. And so those are other options that are the city and OLR and others can, can explore, including the MLC. Well, Marianne, I really want to thank you for your time uh, this evening. Thank you to Jose Vilson for also joining us. Uh, for those of you that are listening today, please remember that love always wins. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know we're talking about a revolution 